You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I just, you know, I say this every once in a while. I put a lot of the scriptures up for us, but I, I don't put all of the scriptures up for us. I don't want to put all the scriptures up for us. Uh, I, I hope, and it, and it looks like most of you, bring your Bibles in one form or another. Uh, you bring something to write with, something to take a few notes. Um, it's really important, and, and even when I first started doing this years and years and years ago, putting... Uh, putting some of this up on the screen for us. It's helpful for us, but always remember that when you're out there, God speaks something to you in here and, and he's going to give you an opportunity to put that into somebody else out there. The screen's not going to be with you. So it's still very, very important that you have your Bible with you and and um, that you, you know, write some things down, take some notes. Um, yeah, I, I think your head looks really good, Boyd. It's, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he was the entertainment this morning. This is me being funny, so there you go. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, I, I want to start talking to us this morning, and, and uh, as usual, I, I thought this would be a standalone teaching. It might be. Uh, I don't think we'll get anywhere near through everything that I have here, so we may come back to it next week. I want to talk to you about reactive living. In other words, living in a way where, where we are uh, we're living on cause and effect. Something happens in our life, and we react to it. Some, somebody says something, and we react to it. Uh, we, we often, and this is kind of a big cultural thing right now. It's a, it's, a, it's a big, in my opinion, a big problem in our culture. I, th- I think it's a very shallow way for us to live, and, I, and it's not the way uh, God would have us to live. We, we as believers, we need to be leaning on the Lord and what He is doing and saying on the inside of us. We need to have a, we need to have a very intimate relationship with Him. We need to develop our ability to know what He is thinking and doing in situations that we run into. And for all of us, that that takes some, it takes some time. And 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 I can just speak from my own experience. Most of the time, and I'll just use this example, I've gotten myself in trouble so many times, uh, or, or just say, I, I didn't really get in trouble, but I didn't get the outcome I would have liked uh, by responding too quickly to an email or a text or something that said on Facebook, like I did this morning. I resisted for a little while. And then I just made a comment. I just wanted up there in the comments so there's a different point of view. That's all. And, and I, can, I can see on my device that there are people jumping all over me. And that's okay. That's what they're going to do. But when I do that too quickly, when I don't think, when I just react, I almost always wish I hadn't given that reaction. Later on, the Lord will give me a different perspective or something. It would have been a lot more fruitful to do it a different way. I can remember way back years and years ago, uh, when I'd just been in the ministry a couple of years, and there were two ladies and, and two families in our church down there in Albuquerque that um, they were close friends. And they both worked in the nursery. And they started to have... Uh, a bunch of strife between the two of them. Got offended, started to have a bunch of strife. 
It started to feed into what was going on at church. It started to be a big problem. Pretty soon the husbands were involved. There was all this stuff going on. So we sat down together, or I sat down. Were you in that meeting? I can't remember. Anyway, I sat down with this whole group uh, in the, the library at the church there one Sunday after church, and, and just to try and make peace and try and get these two to forgive each other and move on. And we talked through a lot of things and talked through and talked through and talked through. And what it finally came down to, what the, what the bottom line was, was the one girl, the one woman said about the other, well, she came in one day and threw me a look. She threw me a look. And that was what started this whole thing that affected people and church and the atmosphere in the nursery and all this stuff. She threw me a look. So she reacted to that look. She might have thrown her a look. You know, I, I, I know the woman <laughs> that was accused of the look very well. She probably threw her a look. Get over it. You know, let it go. It's a look. But I, I, when we just react, we so often, we make a huge mistake. Or at least we don't get the best out there. And again, this is cultural. This is something that we see everywhere. And it's something we need to be able to rise above. We need to live in contrast to, okay? Uh, so 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I hope you found it by now. I'm going to read in verse 16. I am reading from the Amplified Bible here. It says, Therefore, we do not become discouraged, utterly spiritless, exhausted, and worried, wearied out through fear, though our outer man is progressively decaying and wasting away, Yet our inner self is being progressively renewed day after day. Okay, so we have our outward self, we have our body, we have even, I would even put our emotions and our, our soul somewhere in that realm. And we have that inward self, we have the inward man, the inward, the scripture calls it the inward man of the heart. It's our spirit, our human spirit. And if you're born again today, that human spirit has been recreated and is a brand new creature and is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we have something on the inside that we can live from. We have somebody on the inside that we can live from. Okay, and so Paul goes on here and he says, I love this. He says, for our light momentary affliction, this slight distress of the passing hour. Okay, he's talking about imprisonment. He's talking about some, some people being tortured. He's talking about shipwrecks. He's talking about persecution on a level probably nobody in this room has ever known. He's talking about that kind of thing. And he says, speaking from that inward person, this is a light and momentary affliction. He's taken this mindset about things that happen from the outside in life. It's a light and momentary affliction. That's a God perspective, not a human perspective. No question about it. The slight distress of the passing hour is ever uh, more and more abundantly preparing and producing and achieving for us an everlasting weight of glory. That is an eternal perspective. He's keeping that eternal perspective. I'm going through this stuff on earth, but I am living by this inward person. The outward person is wasting away, but that inward person is being renewed day after day after day. And because of that, there's, made, there's coming for me an everlasting weight 
of glory, an everlasting weight of glory, beyond all measure, excessively surpassing all comparisons and calculations of vast and transcendent glory and blessedness never to cease. So he's looking at that. That's where his focus is. And the last part here, he says, since. Okay, so in other words, I have that attitude because. I can live this way. I can look at life and the stuff that it throws at me and the things people say and the things that happen. I can look at that and I can, I can see it the way I just described because we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are visible are temporal. They're brief and fleeting. But the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. That word consider there in the Amplified, it's, you know, it might be translated a little different in whatever you're looking at. It means to look at. It means to contemplate. And it means to give value to. To look at, to contemplate, to give value to. Paul says, we don't look at, contemplate, and give value to the things that are seen. Okay, we see them. He's not saying we pretend they're not there. But I'm not giving value to that. I'm not contemplating that. I'm not letting what somebody said or did or this person or this thing that I disagree with, I'm not letting the natural world, the political world, the social world, and all of that, that's not what I'm going to give the, the majority of my thought and contemplation to. I am going to think about, I am going to look at, I am going to contemplate and give value to the things that are unseen, the spiritual realities that we have in Christ, the spiritual realities that are contained in this word. Because when all of this stuff is gone, the word won't have changed a bit. God won't have changed a bit when all this stuff is gone. God won't have changed a bit. So we shouldn't waste our time contemplating, thinking on, meditating, saturating ourselves in just the, the stuff of the world and the stuff that's going on around us. And this is, it's, it's much easier for me to stand here and preach this than it is for us to live this, okay? But we can do this. It's, it's, this stuff is happening. We are faced with it on a daily basis. You will at times be criticized. You will at times be not liked. You will at times not be accepted. You will at times have somebody blast you on whatever platform you like to get on, if you get on one. You know, you'll have that stuff, but you can't ingest that stuff. You'll have negative experiences with people. You'll have negative experiences in church. You'll have negative experience with church leadership. You can't let that steal from you God's plan and purpose for you and the body of Christ and the call he has on your life. That's up to you. That's up to you. You know, uh, Proverbs tells us that... Um, a glad heart. Now I've got two different proverbs going by in my mind. He who has a glad heart has a continual feast regardless of circumstances. Regardless of circumstances. Proverbs 15, 15, the last part of the verse. Our attitude, uh, another one that's been kicking around in me is that the mocker, it means somebody who's very scornful and just makes fun of everything and just derides everything. 
the mocker looks for wisdom, but never finds any. Never finds any. Why? Because of his attitude. Not because there's no wisdom out there, but because of his attitude. The, the, those kinds of things, they color our whole world. And so we can get to where if, if we're just looking at the negative about any subject, we're going to see negative. That's what you're going to see. You're not going to see the positive. Actually, the thing I got into this morning was uh, about church. And somebody made a comment about church. I mean, all church, all believers, everybody, based on a negative, a terrible experience that they had with one person in church. And I just made the comment that it's very sad that you see that as reflective of everyone, you know, in the church. And I'm still getting jumped on for that <laughs> statement. It's true. And it breaks my heart because I know this woman. I've known her since she was a kid. It breaks my heart that that's her experience now and her view and what she's putting into her children. And, and it's just sad because there's so much good that goes on. You know, there's so much good that goes on when you're part of the body. It's just, it's just awesome. But there are also some negative things. So whatever we choose, if we choose to focus and contemplate those things, then you're going to see everything that way. It's, it's just the way it is. So we don't want to just react to things that we see. Let's go over to... Uh, Mark chapter 1, if you would, Mark chapter 1, and we're probably going to take a little bit of time and go through some verses here. This may be as far as we get with this today, I don't know. Uh, but in this whole, the point that I want to make here, and, and the verses on your screen are verses 36 and 38, and I'm going to start way earlier in the, in the chapter than that, but um, probably at least at verse 9. But Jesus, from the very beginning of his ministry, he demonstrated this idea that he didn't just react to the, to the negative things that were said about him and done toward him, uh, people saying that he was demon-possessed and things later in his ministry. But also, he didn't simply react to the needs of people. And that's a tougher one. He didn't just react... Uh, he He was very aware of the needs of people and he met needs of people, but he did all that led by the Holy Spirit. He didn't do that, just everything that would pop up, Jesus ran to it and fixed it. And that's kind of the, there's kind of a big, um, there's, there's a, 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 there are a lot of things being put out there today that makes Jesus, basically it's, it's Buddha, but they're saying it's Jesus, okay? It's, he just, he is just all peaceful, loving, uh, runs to meet everything, just just everything's just sweet and, and peaceful and, and, and there's no change that has to happen on your part to come to Jesus and all that kind of thing. There's, there's kind of this perception out there in the church. It's not the Jesus that's in the Bible. Uh, but he, so he, he was aware of the needs of people. He felt every emotion that we feel, but he wasn't led by those things. He was led by the Holy Spirit. And this is Mark chapter 1. This is the outset of his ministry. And we'll see here how he followed the instructions of the Spirit of God. He did what the Holy Spirit said. Sometimes in direct contrast to being moved by needs or what people wanted him to do at the time. So, uh, in, and let me just, I'll just try and break this down rather than us meet all of it. Meet, man, I can't 
speak very well this morning, so you'll just have to forgive me. Um, Mark chapter 1, beginning in about verse 9, rather than read all of this, I'm going to break it down a little bit. Um, Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan River, right? And at that point, the scripture says the heavens were actually torn open and the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus. And from that time on, he was compelled by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, moved and, and did, what did he say? I do what I see the Father doing. I say what I hear the Father saying, right? So he, so he didn't just run out and, uh, and try to meet everything that was out there in front of him. In verse, um, I'll start here in verse 14. He says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. And that means, like Boyd was talking about this morning, it's in us, it's among us, it's right here. Near doesn't mean in Crested Butte. It means right here. Wherever you are, the kingdom of God is right here. And everything that goes along with living under God's reign and in his world is available. It's, it's right here. He says, repent and believe the good news. So right there, he asks people to repent, okay, to change, change our direction. Uh, in verse 15, yeah, he says, the kingdom of God is near. I love the way uh, the Passion Translation renders this. It says, his message was, it is time for the realm of God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. It's time for the realm of God's kingdom to be experienced in its fullness. All right, so, so from that and from many other scriptures, we get that idea that whatever spiritual truth, whatever spiritual realities we grab hold of, they should have a tan some kind of tangible effect on our life. If we're grabbing hold of something that the word says, like love your enemies, okay? If we're grabbing hold of something the word says, and we're claiming that as a reality in Christ for us, not saying we immediately are able to live in that, That's, that is not what I'm saying at all, but there should, that word should produce fruit. It should have a tangible result in our life that people can see, hear, touch. They, they can see changes in our life. Can you agree with that? Okay, so, so he goes on and, and you go through this chapter uh, down in verse 22. Uh, again, the Passion Translation, it says, the people were awestruck and overwhelmed by his teaching because he taught in a way that demonstrated God's authority. All right, he taught in a way that demonstrated God's authority. This was different for them. It wasn't just somebody giving a list of ideas or, or bringing the scripture and giving a list of do's and don'ts. It was somebody where obviously, what, what does the Bible tell us about Jesus? The word was made flesh in him. The word walked among us in him. And that is true now of every one of us. The word, we, we receive the Lord, we get born again. He comes to live on the inside of us. And when we receive the word over time, as that seed goes into our heart and has the opportunity to renew our minds and change who we are, that word becomes flesh in us. So we really do 
end up loving people who are acting as our enemies. I mean, how many, that's one of the most amazing things to me about me in particular, that, that I've seen in my life, by no means perfected in it, but, but there can be, whether, whether somebody's you know, just making terrible decisions in their life or whether somebody is attacking me or attacking somebody else that I love or whatever, whatever it is that's going on, I can see all that, I can know all that, I can disagree vehemently with what they're doing. And yet, down on the inside, there's this love. I care about them. I care about their life. I want it to be better. I want them to have what God has for them. That's God, I'm telling you. That's not me, okay? That's not me. That's God. But it's there. The scripture tells us that the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts. It's been poured out. I think, there again, I was reading it in the Passion Translation. That's in Romans chapter 5. I was reading it in the Passion Translation the other day. It's talking about this cascade of love that the Holy Spirit pours into us. We are loved by God, and because of that, we can love people differently. And the reason I'm talking about all that is because that's one of these places where when the scripture starts to tell us things like, love your enemies as you love yourself or love your enemies. And, and Jesus comes along and, and says that. He says, if you only love the people that love you, how is that different from the world? How is that in contrast to the way the world loves? And the reason for that, and I'm way ahead of myself here, but that's okay. The reason for that is because to love somebody who doesn't love you or, or is antagonistic toward your life, to love that person, you have to rely on something inside of you. You have to have a source that's bigger than your human ability to love. If you just love people who love you back, you're just reflecting that love back. That's all you're doing. You're, they love you and you receive that and you reflect that back to them. The whole world does that. That's not the way, that's, that's not the limit of the love of God. I mean, it's fine. You're not supposed to dislike people who love you, you know. But to love somebody who is antagonistic against you, that demonstrates that you're relying on something on the inside. You're relying on a different source. They're not the source. Oh man, they shouldn't be the source of anything. They shouldn't be the source of your your sense of well-being, your sense of acceptance, your sense of being okay, that should all be coming from God for us. And we can live differently out of that. They're not our source of love. I mean, it's wonderful to love and be loved. That's, that's a God thing. But the commands in the New Testament go beyond that. They don't just stop there. And, well, I don't want to preach all that until we get to those verses, which may or may not be today. There are, you know, under the, under the old covenant, Jesus quotes this. You know, he says, you've heard it said, right? Love your, or love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Well, when you study that out, love your neighbor is in the Torah. It's what God said. Hate your enemies is added by the rabbis. It's in the oral teaching. And there's a lot of that. Jesus does a lot of that. He, he says, well, you've heard this said, 
it's not in what that, that phrase, whatever it is, is not what God said. He's just saying, you've heard this said over and over and over. You've heard these ideas. They're not from the Father. What I'm saying to you, and he calls us to some higher level. And the reason that grace actually calls us to a higher level than the law did is because grace empowers us to live at a higher level. The law depends on you. The law depended on you doing it. You know, love your neighbor. Okay, and actually that kind of means relatives, which is probably harder than loving your neighbor. Okay, so, so the, the law just says that and it lets it hang out there for us to fail and realize, man, I need a savior. I need somebody to empower me because I can't do this. I can't love all my relatives or my neighbors or anybody else on my own. But, but the new covenant comes along and says, not only love your neighbors or relatives, but instead of hating your enemies, love them too. Wow. Only through grace. Only through the empowering force of salvation and grace. Can we do that? But since we're all saved and we all live under grace, we can. This should be the aspiration. This should be the direction we go. So, so in that realm, we don't just react to things that people throw at us. We can't just react to things that people show, throw at us. All right, let me try to come back to Mark chapter 1 if I can. So let's go down to verse 21 and look at a few things here. So Mark 1, 21 says, They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. All right, so he taught in an entirely different manner than just teaching the law. He taught as one who was speaking with authority. He was, he was speaking with authority and the, the word that came forth from him had the power to change things. It had the power to change things. He wasn't just quoting somebody else. Jesus brought forth the Old Testament scriptures, but he put himself in it. And that really upset a lot of people. All right, does this make sense? Okay, just then a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So when the word goes forth or the presence of God is there, sometimes demons manifest themselves. They'll manifest under, pres under uh, pressure. And that pressure comes from the presence of, the, of God and it comes as the word is spoken. And so sometimes demons will manifest themselves. And also, and this is, I'm, I'm not trying to conflate the two at all, so I don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Also, as the word is spoken, or as we are in the presence of God, maybe we're worshiping in the presence of God, maybe the word is being spoken, uh, little uh, nasty strongholds that are still alive in our souls will also manifest and, and will tempt us to reject the word that's being spoken, okay? That's a good opportunity to repent and get something out of your heart. But in this case, this demon manifests, which apparently didn't happen very much in the synagogue, and he said, be quiet, 
come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to the evil spirits and they obey him. News about him quickly spread through the whole region. So I say all that to get down to verse 29. So this is what happened. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon, that's Peter, and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, he took her hand and helped her up the fever left her and she began to wait on them. So in the morning they go to synagogue. Uh, Jesus teaches and, and just blows them away because the word of God is coming with authority. So first they're amazed, they're struck at the heart by that. Then this demon manifests in the middle of their group, probably somebody who had been there for a very long time. This demon manifests, Jesus silences it and casts it out. So there's another demonstration of his power in life. Then... He goes to Peter's house for dinner and the mother-in-law is sick and he heals her. So all of these uh, manifestations of his life and power and who he is are coming forth. And, and because of all that, it says that evening after sunset, so once the Sabbath was over, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. All the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. He would not let them speak because they knew who he was. So the whole town, and this is just, to me, this is just cool. The Lord just begins to do what he does. He starts to bring life through the word. He starts and bring the good news. The kingdom of God is here. He demonstrates that by shutting down and casting out demons, and by healing the sick. So there's not just a word going out saying whatever, you know, just, it's not just a word, it's a word with authority, it's a word that brings life, it's a word that brings power, and there are things that change. And everybody knows these people, everybody knows who, it's a, it's a small town, they're all at Peter's door. As soon as the religious restriction was off, as soon as they were free, the sun set, the Sabbath was over, they, could, they were free to come to him, they came to him. And he healed the sick and he cast out demons. And, and so the whole town gathers at his door. So they do this, you know, we don't know how long, well into the night, but then it, it says in verse 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. All right, so Jesus is there spending time in intimacy with his father, getting refilled, recharged, spending time with the father very early in the morning. All right, he went and prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Everyone is looking for you. That, that phrase tells us they're bringing a demand to Jesus. They're, they're putting a demand on who he is. Not in a negative way. Everyone's looking for you. You're healing people. You're setting them free from demonic influence. They want that. They're looking for you. Peter's like, everybody's at my door again this morning. All right? Everybody's at my door. And everyone is looking for you. And Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else. 
Let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That's why I have come. That's an, and this, this phrase, let us go, is how the NIV renders it. It comes from the little Greek word ago, A-G-O, which means to be led. It means to be moved. It means to be conducted along. So Jesus is being led to go somewhere else, not to the most obvious need that's right next door. The need that he was just meeting last night. To me, this is kind of a stunning passage because again, what we hear and what we, there are people all over out there that will tell you, I just had one this morning, will tell you who you should be and how you should be as a Christian. And there are people that don't even follow Jesus, but they'll tell you how you should be and what you should do and what you should be paying attention to. They'll put all kinds of demands on your life that the Lord is not putting on your life, all right? And I'm not talking about being flaky with this and just doing your own thing and, and, and oh, I'm not gonna be involved in that. I'm not gonna be involved in that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the most effective way for us to live is not just to react to every need that's presented before you. And for some of you, this is much harder than for others because you are a person that God has really put a heart of compassion for people in. He has, he has given you a tremendous compassion and love for people. Well, if you want to love them well, you can't fall into reactive living. You can't just react to every need that's presented to you. You can't meet all those needs. You, you just can't meet all those needs. And the Lord doesn't expect you to meet all those, all those needs. Okay? We know that God is love, right? Can we all agree on that? God is love. We believe Jesus is God, right? So whatever Jesus did is a demonstration of the love of God, right? Everything Jesus did is a demonstration of the love of God. So him walking away from a set of needs to go elsewhere because that's where the father was saying to go. He didn't just give up and quit and go do something else. He didn't go back to carpentry, okay? He went where the Spirit of God was leading him. But that took prayer. He went out and spent time in prayer. He went out and spent time with the Father. And this was his confession throughout his ministry. I do what I see the Father doing. People, are, people will present all kinds of things that are good ideas. They're wonderful things to do. You can't do them all. You're not called to do them all. And if you're not called, you're not graced. You're not called to do them all. Okay, can you receive that this morning? You're not, and so don't feel guilty about focusing on what you are called and gifted to do. You're one part of the body. Okay, this, this finger can't do what my elbow does. So there's no point in it trying to be my elbow just because my elbow one day isn't working very well. Okay, so finger says, I'll go meet that need. That'd be pretty weird. That'd be kind of an interesting little video. Um, where most, most of us are taught that as Christians, it means, oh man, I just saw the clock. Uh, okay, let's look at one more slide real quick. Let me give you this list because some people really like lists. All right, these are three ways that people uh, often live reactively. Okay, 
three ways. Being need-driven, which we've just been talking about. They think it's a spirit, that it is spiritual to immediately respond to every need. Okay, the need-driven person, I'm just going to read from my notes for sake of time, often has their identity and value caught up in what they do for others. This is something you just have to analyze in yourself. That's not where your value comes from. Your value comes because you are, you are a child of God. You are made in his image. You have value if you never do another thing as long as you live. You have value before God. All right, so we can't have our value caught up in what we do for others. doesn't mean we don't do for others. I hope you're hearing me this morning. They rush to meet every need because they thrive on the affirmation and worth that they perceive from being a need meter. Okay, if that's you, that's just something the Lord needs to work out in your heart so that you're getting that from a different, uh, a, a different source. Okay, this a need meter is often depressed and offended if they don't get the recognition for their efforts that they think they deserve. Okay, need meters are often critical and judgmental about other people, what they do, what they don't do to meet needs. All right. If this is sounding like something that goes on in your life, just take it to the Lord and he can turn this around and you'll be much more effective in what you do. Okay. Uh, what the problem here is that the need meter doesn't stop to ask the Lord what he wants to do in a situation or what his intended role for me, what is your role for me in this situation? I am probably just one part of the solution, not the whole solution. You need to leave room, okay, for other people to step in and meet needs also. All right, does this make sense to you? Okay, uh, and again, there, there, you just got to leave room for gifts and resources that in, are in other people. Secondly, emotion-driven people. Things happen that are very hurtful. Things happen that we don't want to see happen. Things happen to people we love. And we want to just dive in there and, and fix everything. All right? And we'll react very quickly sometimes uh, to come to somebody's defense or, or to come in and, and meet a need. But we're doing it based on the way we feel, not necessarily what the Lord is saying or telling us to do in that situation. Okay, and some and a lot of times it's kind of similar to the need meeting thing. We want to feel better. We want our pain to go away. So we jump into this situation. It's it's really about us feeling better, not about fixing their situation. And those are tough things to have to realize sometimes, uh, but they're true. And again, it makes us uh, kind of ineffective. Okay, when we when we do that. All right. Emotion-driven solutions often lack substance, reality, and long-term effectiveness. I'll give you two quick examples of that. Enabling addiction. Okay, we jump in, we love the person, we want to fix it, we want to help. And, and, and sometimes the way we go about that, all we're doing is enabling their addiction. Okay, the second one that I'll give you this morning is electric cars. Electric cars are an emotional response to a legitimate problem, but if you get into the science of it, they actually do more damage with the creation, the, the, the extraction of the resources, the creation of the vehicle, the development of the energy to, to do the vehicle. All of that actually creates a bigger problem than just running a gasoline vehicle today. Okay, we need a better solution. So all I'm saying, if you're driving an electric car, it's fine with me, all right? Just saying, it's an, there are a lot of those things out there that are being thrown at us right now as solutions uh, 
that are actually not a solution, but we go away feeling good about ourselves for having done something. Probably just lost at least half of you with that one. So, uh, And then the final one, and we'll just leave it at this, is we, we reciprocate, which is what we've been talking about all morning, rather than we initiate. In other words, we reflect back what other people are giving to us. We might reflect back anger or fear or hatred or love, but we, you know, we might be on either side of it, but we're not stepping back, taking some time to spend with the Lord, taking a little time before we decide how to respond to something. We're living reactively and we make a lot of mistakes doing that. I can tell you from personal experience, we make a lot of uh, mistakes doing that. So that's really the key in this is to learn to step back, focus on the unseen, not the seen, focus on the Lord, spend that time with him, and then only do what he's leading you to do. And don't use that as an excuse to be a lazy believer. Just do what the Lord has given you to do. You okay? You guys are awfully quiet. Let's stand up and pray this morning. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Well, Father, this morning, Lord, out of all of this, Lord, I just pray that the words that you are speaking by your spirit to each one of our hearts, Lord, on the inside, that those would be the words we go away with. Those would be the things we treasure up in our hearts. Those would be the things we grow from. And that, Father, as, as we go out into this valley, into our community, into our schools, into our jobs, into our homes, friends, neighbors, community, Father, I just pray, Father, as we go out, we go out as a light. We go out as the church. We go out carrying your presence and your life. We go out wide open to the things you would say and do and the places that you would plug us in to bring life to other people. Father, we go out this week expecting opportunities to carry your presence into our community. Thank you for what you are transforming and doing in us, in this body, and in this community. Father, we thank you for it today. We treasure up your words in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to go out here. We're going to be dismissed in a couple minutes, a lot less than that. We're going to say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin in the world because we always do that. And then there's some good snacks and stuff out here. So I hope everybody will hang around, get to know some people. So let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Go out there and be the church. for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.